You're listening to the City Church Podcast. Right now, we're in the middle of our Invisible God series, where we're looking at the role, person, and power of God's Spirit in our lives. Come on, practice with me. That didn't feel like 100% participation. Come on, try it again. Some of you got to learn how to breathe. Try it again. Much better. Better than first service, in fact. If you have a Bible, go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Title of today's sermon is Just Breathe. Just Breathe. Verse 19. On the evening of the day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Wouldn't you be? Come on. I mean, yeah, yeah, I I mean, I would be. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Just open up your heart to God this morning. God, I thank you for all of us in the room today, for the opportunity to worship your name and to study your word. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would do something profound this morning, that every one of us would learn to breathe in a new way, that every one of us would be more open and aware of the Holy Spirit than we ever have been in our lives. Jesus, I humble myself and I say, please, God, by your grace, enable me to communicate this clearly in your mighty name. Amen. 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 Last week, we looked at this idea of water and how the scripture uses water as an illustration to help us understand the Holy Spirit. And we're in a four-week teaching series right now on the Holy Spirit, the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. And so last week, we described the Holy Spirit through the illustration of water. Today, we see that God uses this illustration of breathing. And in the original language, uh, this is something that was very nuanced and very obvious to the reader that would read Greek or uh, read Hebrew, but not so obvious to us. See, in the original language, the Hebrew word ruach or the Greek word pneuma have three different meanings, okay? And so we have this in our language as well. We have different words that have, you know, the same word, multiple meanings, right? So like, you know, my wife went on a run is one way, you know, hey, how did the service run, right? Two, same word, different, you know, different meaning, right? Or I drank way too much coffee, now I have the Right, and so, so same word, three different meanings, right? And so, at least that's my experience. Anyways, uh, those are the three, you know. And there's other meanings for run. There's multiple, multiple. And think, I think there's dozens upon dozens of meanings for the word run. Now, in for example, Greek, when someone saw the word pneuma, there was three different ways that that word could be translated. Okay, it could be translated breath. And so you say, take a pneuma, right? Take a breath, right? Or just learn to pneuma, just learn to breathe. But it could also be translated wind. Okay, and so that's the word for wind. And so when anybody would see when they say, hey, it's a, it's a pneuma day outside, right? It's a, wind, it's a windy day, right? That would be the way that they would describe the wind. But it was also the word for, anybody want to guess? 
Spirit, yeah, it was the word for spirit. And so when, God, when Jesus says to his disciples in this moment, receive the Holy Spirit, it's the same as saying receive the Holy Wind or receive the Holy Breath. And so clearly the Spirit is being described here as breath and wind, breath and wind. We see this in the Old Testament in Ezekiel. He's described as the breath of God. Jesus describes in this way in John chapter three when he says we must be born of the Spirit. And one interesting little thing is that when in Acts chapter two, the disciples experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about next week. This is the way it's described in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind or breath or spirit, like a mighty rushing breath or a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And so we know that this powerful move of the Holy Spirit was the inauguration of a new era within the human race, an era by which people could know the Spirit in a very personal and real way, and all people could experience the filling and the power of God's Holy Spirit. Now, if you missed last week, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And what we see in the scriptures in Acts chapter 2 is this great outpouring of the Spirit. And that outpouring of the Spirit was actually shadowed in the Old Testament. See, the longer you read the Bible, the more you find that what God does in the new, he often shadowed or described through pictures in the old. So in 2 Chronicles, Solomon, the great king of Israel, built a great temple for God. And when they initiated the temple worship and the temple service, uh, at that time, they had 120 different priests come together and blow trumpets in unison. Does anybody want to guess how many people were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2? 120, it was kind of a gimme. 120, the answer is 120. So now we see in the Old Testament, 120 priests gathering and in unison playing their instruments. And when they do that, the scripture describes what happens in 2 Chronicles 5. It says, at that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not continue their service because of the cloud for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. And so God manifests his presence in a, in a symbol of, of this cloud, this smoke that fills the temple. And it's this moment where God says, I approve of what you're doing. I will make this my holy habitation. Now, fast forward thousands of years, 120 people in an upper room in Jerusalem worshiping God. The spirit of God comes in like a mighty rushing wind. And it's God saying, listen, what was built in the physical Right, thousands of years ago, a temple in which I could dwell with a most holy place in which I would be. So it has become for the natural, has become the supernatural for people. Now your body is the temple, your soul is the most holy place, and I will have my holy habitation within the heart of the believer. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, turn to the person next to you and say, it's time to get excited. Come on, just tell them. It's time to get excited. You came to church to get excited. And so uh, even if you're chilling, even if it's a little chilly, it's time to get excited. And so what this begins for the church is an unparalleled relationship with God the Holy Spirit. And of course, God the Holy Spirit is described in many different ways. Today we're going to look how he's described as breath. And I want to I wanna just start with this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. I want to read it in the King James Version because I just like the old school King James Version the way it's described. It just painted a nice picture for me where the Apostle Paul is closing out a letter to the church of Corinth and when he does it, he describes some of the interactions we can have with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says it like this. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is anybody grateful for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me see your hand. If you're grateful for the grace, I am so grateful for the undeserved favor I've received through Jesus. It's changed my entire life. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the love of the Father. It's the Father's love that compelled him to send the Son. And so the love of God, and then look how he describes our interaction with the Holy Spirit. He says, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. The communion of the Holy Ghost. That little phrase just kind of stuck in my head this week as I was studying this. Communion with the ghost. Don't you want to commune with the ghost? Now, that sounds a little spooky, but kind of in an awesome way, though. I mean, I want to commune with the Holy Spirit. This word commune, it could be translated fellowship. It could be translated friendship or partnership. It talks about this unparalleled, unique relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. Now, don't misunderstand. The Holy Spirit is not simply a force right? Not simply a wind, though he is described as breath or wind. The spirit of God is not those things. He is not an it. The spirit of God is a person, right? And we see all through the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is described as a person. In Romans chapter 8, we're told that the spirit has a mind. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're told that the spirit has a will. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told that the spirit has emotions. And so what I want to do today is I want to try to paint a picture for you of what does it look like like to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Does that sound good? Does that sound good? Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. What does it look like to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? And I'm going to give you four different aspects of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to jot them down on your iPad or on your phone or in a notebook or whatever it might be that you can meditate upon these things because I believe God wants to unveil for each of us a new level of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So I want you just to encourage each other for a minute. Tell somebody around you, you need a new level. Come on, just tell them, you need a new level. You got to have a little fun today. You can't be quiet and awkward all day. You need a new level. Come on, turn to somebody and just tell them, encourage them. You need a new level of fellowship with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus breathes on his disciples, right? I mean, would that not have been a mildly awkward moment? I mean, come on, when's the last time somebody walked up to you and just said, hey, take this, right? I mean, it's kind of like, what? Just recently, uh, I was with my wife, and uh, I walked up to my wife And I was like, hey, you know, we're married, you know, I don't need to get all the details, but how are you? Are you good? And she was like, you need a mint right now. And it kind of like destroyed the fellowship. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was just one of those moments like, ah, like come on, every, every married couple knows the mint moment. Like, oh, the mint moment busted. Right. And so, uh, so now I keep the mints handy, you know? And so, um, you know, try to keep them in with you, but, but there is that intimacy, that closeness, that nearness, right? All the parents in the room, you know how it is when you have your first child, right? And you're always going in the room and what are you checking for? Make sure they're what? Make sure they're breathing, right? Are they breathing? And you go in, you watch their little tummy go up and down, you go, all right, we're good. See, we're good parents. He's still breathing as if you had anything to do with that, right? Like, hey, this is awesome. Okay, let's check in another five minutes. All right, sounds good. By the third one, you're like, wait a minute. Are they, I don't even know. Are they living? Are they, you know, everything changes. But that first, you know, you're just checking. And and for me as a parent, you know, first you go in and you're kind of the scientist or the doctor. Let's make sure they're breathing. But then after you're sure that they're breathing, then you're just enjoying it as a parent, right? And you're just watching them. And to hear their little mouth and they're like, it's special. It's close. It's that nearness. It's incredible. See, the first aspect of fellowship with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you four, is what we're going to call the intimacy of the Spirit. 
The intimacy of the Spirit. You can jot that down if you'd like. The intimacy of the Spirit. Now, intimacy is a word that we use in the English language often to describe sexual interactions. And I'm not using it in that context at all. Intimacy is when two people have a relationship that enables them to know things that no one else knows. That's intimacy. So in other words, when you have an intimate relationship with anybody, it's a relationship by which the two of you have experiences, shared experiences, shared knowledge, shared conversation that no one else is privy to. That is intimacy. I wonder, do you have intimacy with the Holy Spirit? Do you have intimacy with God the Father through the Holy Spirit? Is this an experience that you know? I would suggest to you that there are many in the room who you know about the gospel, and I'm glad you do. It's the most important news in the whole world that God came, put on flesh, died on a cross, rose again, and did it for you. And if you personally receive that sacrifice, he'll wash away your sins from the day you were born to the day you die and bring you into relationship with your creator. That's a wonderful truth to know. Maybe you know church traditions. Maybe you know the song lyrics to every song we sing. That's great stuff. It's good to know that stuff. But do you know intimacy with the Holy Spirit? Do you know intimacy with the Holy Spirit? Do you know communion, friendship with the Holy Spirit? I can say honestly, in my early journey with God, I began exploring the possibility of knowing the Holy Spirit in an intimate way. And I remember as a young follower of Jesus, getting alone in my room, closing the door and saying, okay, God, I'm not gonna leave this room until I fall asleep or I meet with you. I'll tell you what, that's a powerful thing to say. That's a, I always said, God, I don't care if it's two hours or if it's 10 hours. I don't care if it's 10 minutes. I want to meet with you, and I'm just committed to that. I want to experience you. And I remember I would go into my room, and I'd begin to open up the Bible, and I'd begin to pray, and I'd begin to worship. And I had this old cassette player. Anybody can say amen to cassette players? Back in the day, I had this cassette player, and so I put a cassette on that somebody gave me. I was new to the whole Christian thing, and it was this, it was this vineyard music tape of Lord Light the Fire Again. All right, maybe that doesn't connect with you. But anyways, it was awesome. And I put that Lord light the fire again on. Doom, 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 doom. Don't let my love grow cold. And I just be in my room by myself looking like a total freak going, yes, God, light my fire again. Come and meet me here. Come and reveal yourself to me. And I can tell you, friend, with complete honesty that that desperate young heart met with God so many times. And I began to learn intimacy with the Holy Spirit where him and I have conversations that no one else knows about. That he reveals things to me that I've never told you. I've never told my wife. I've never told my friends. He reveals things and I speak to him about things I don't speak to anyone else about. That began for me a lifelong journey of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Do you have that? Do you, you know, it's so funny. I talked to so many Christians and my experience has been that very few no intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Don't you realize you can? Don't you realize you can? Come on, take a deep breath with me. Let's try it again. Through the nose, out the mouth. What is that? It's air. It's all around us, right? In this room right now is air. I'm grateful for it. Is anybody else grateful for the air? I mean, sometimes we take it for granted, but it's all around us, right? And so if the Holy Spirit wants to be intimate with you, Jesus, as he breathes on his disciples, is inferring, hey, I want the Spirit to be as close as the breath that fills up your lungs. I want you to be that close. <sighs> Receive the Holy Spirit. In the same way, we are surrounded all the time by this air. Now, scientists call that air 
atmosphere, okay? And there's actually about five layers of atmosphere on planet Earth, and it, it spans about 300 miles high. And so you've got this atmosphere, and then once you get beyond the atmosphere, you get into outer space, right? But this atmosphere wraps around our planet, and we're very lucky or blessed or however you want to look at it to have an atmosphere. There are many planets all over the galaxies that don't have atmospheres, and in fact, our atmosphere is uniquely designed to enable life to exist. And so we're grateful for the nitrogen and the oxygen and all the other things that are floating around in the atmosphere. So the atmosphere keeps us warm. It enables the light of the sun to bring warmth to the planet. The atmosphere dissolves meteors as they come on to planet Earth. They get eaten up in the atmosphere that surrounds planet Earth and rarely get to the ground. The atmosphere enables us to have weather like rain and all these wonderful things that provide life. And of course, the atmosphere, the most obvious one, is the atmosphere enables us to breathe, right? It provides oxygen that sits about 10 miles up all around us. And because of that, you and I can exist as human beings. Now you're so grateful for the atmosphere, right? Isn't it wonderful to have an atmosphere? I think it's great. Now here's one interesting thing. The atmosphere exists on planet Earth because of the unique position we have before the sun. That was like a free one. Come on. I don't know if you caught that one. The atmosphere exists on planet Earth because of the unique position. In other words, if we moved a few thousand miles that way or a few thousand miles this way, if planet Earth moved away from the sun in either direction, our atmosphere is very likely to dissolve. But because of the unique position that we hold before the sun, we now have an atmosphere. Great news, right? You're not connecting. Okay, what I'm trying to tell you today is that through the Holy Spirit, by the good news of Jesus Christ, God has provided a spiritual atmosphere that you can live in every moment of your life. You can live by faith in a particular atmosphere. Romans chapter 14 describes that atmosphere for us. It says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. The Romans were getting tangled up in traditions, thinking that if they ate this or they drank that, they would be uh, impure. And, and Paul saying, no, no, you don't understand. The atmosphere of the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The imputed righteousness of Jesus through the cross, given to you for free, you now have right standing with God, which produces shalom in your heart. Peace that passes all understanding now defines your existence, and because of the righteousness and the peace, you get happy. You get joy. And so he describes, come on, I'm preaching really good, you're not really getting that excited. You, he describes the, the atmosphere all around the believer. And we call this the second aspect of fellowship, the presence of the Spirit. See, if you want to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you must understand the intimacy available to you in the Holy Spirit, and you must understand the presence of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit. Now, we sing about his presence. Now, we understand that as, as uh, theologians, we believe that, that uh, certainly God is everywhere, that he's not in one place more than the other, but he is, we are aware of him in greater capacity when we discern his presence in the room. His presence could be defined as the awareness that he is here. The awareness that he is here or the reality of his nearness. You know, when you read the accounts of Jesus, you discern that he lived in the presence of the Spirit. Did you ever notice that? People got around him and they noticed right away something was different about Jesus. They noticed right away that, that something was different about this guy, that the way he talked, the way he walked, the way he looked, the way he acted, every time people were around him, there was this massive crowd. People just longed to be near him because of the presence around him. 
One woman just grabbed a hold of his jacket back and said, you know, if I can just touch his clothes, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I believe that his presence will have impact in my life. And she did, and she was healed of an incurable disease. That's what the scripture describes. In fact, it's not just for Jesus. Remember, he's inaugurated a new age for the church where your sins are forgiven and you can walk in fellowship with your creator by the Holy Spirit. So we see the apostle Paul, an imperfect broken man who used to persecute Christians walking in such a presence of the spirit that literally people would touch handkerchiefs. This is weird. Handkerchiefs that Paul had touched and they would be cured of diseases. What a powerful presence that surrounded this man of God. And as you read the scriptures, you find that many, many people walked in the presence of the Spirit. Stephen, for example, a great martyr in the church. Stephen, they said, as he preached before the Jewish council, they said, this man looks like an angel. What is it about him that carries such a presence? It was the presence of the Spirit. The presence of the Spirit. All through scripture and through history, we find different men and women who operated in the presence of the Spirit. One of my favorite is the preacher George Whitfield. He was described this way by an onlooker when Whitfield preached. He said, when I saw Mr. Whitfield come upon the scaffold, he looked almost angelic. A young, slim, slender youth before thousands of people with a bold, undaunted countenance. He looked as if he was clothed with authority from the great God. What is it about him that looked that way? It was the presence. One other preacher, they described this way, Charles Finney came into a factory in a town where he was preaching and he walked into the factory, he didn't say anything. He walked up to this one particular woman who was working in the factory and she turned, she looked at him and when their eyes locked, friends, when their eyes locked, something inside of her became convicted and the presence of the spirit started to change the atmosphere all around her and soon she was weeping, asking him, how can I be made right with God? The presence of the Spirit. Don't you long to live your life in the presence of righteousness, peace, and joy? Anybody? Yeah. The presence of the Spirit, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. These things are possible for the believer. So we accept that the Spirit is like the breath inside our lungs, intimacy. We accept the Spirit is like the air all around us, presence. But the Scripture also describes Him as a mighty rushing wind, right? A mighty rushing wind. And any sailor will tell you that a mighty rushing wind is a good thing, right? In fact, sailors, it's incredible. I don't know how much you know about sailing. Uh, I'm an expert. I read a few things on Wikipedia about it. But, uh, but sailing uh, actually is incredible in that a sailor can move his sail in such a way that no matter which direction the wind is blowing, they can move in the direction that they desire. And so it doesn't matter if the wind is blowing north, they can actually move south by zigzagging using their sail in the wind to move them in that direction. And so the sailor must learn, and it's complicated. It's pretty complicated. You've got all different aspects of the ship and the sail and trimming the sail, all these different things you've got to do. But the sailor must learn, a skilled sailor knows how to move with the wind. He learns to move with the wind. See, he knows that he doesn't dictate what the wind does, but he can respond to what the wind does. And so he'll move this way. He'll move that way. He'll shift that. He'll turn this. He'll move that so that the wind will lead him. And so that's the power that the wind has in the mind of the sailor. See, we need to understand that the spirit provides intimacy. This is one aspect of fellowship. And that the spirit provides presence. This is another aspect of fellowship. But the third aspect I want to mention here today, you can jot it down if you like this third aspect a fellowship with the Holy Spirit is what we'll call the school of the Spirit. The school of the Spirit. And see, the reality is that very few Christians know much about the school of the Spirit. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul gives us a glimpse into the school. He says, now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us. Oh, I love that phrase. Understand the things freely given us by God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is here to teach you the things that God has given you for free in Christ. That's his job. And so he's guiding you, it says in the Gospel of John. It says that he's teaching you, he's training you. And so you can actually be in the school of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here and you know what I'm talking about. Aren't you so glad? Aren't you so grateful for the school of the Holy Spirit? I'm telling you, I've been uh, advancing my education in the school of the Holy Spirit ever since the day I met Jesus. And it has been such an incredible journey to be in the school of the Holy Spirit. What an incredible ride. See, when I started out, I came to God with a whole condemned, guilty, bound up mind, always feeling ashamed of my past, always feeling guilty for things I'd done. And the Holy Spirit had to be like a professor and say, Justin, let me teach you about grace. Let me teach you about justification. Let me teach you how to be free from those condemning thoughts. And God led me out of the slavery of my own mind. And then I found that I couldn't control myself sexually. And so I said, you know, God, I need your help. And the school, the Holy Spirit brought me along and said, let me teach you how to be free from addiction. Let me teach you how to break the bondages of lust. Let me teach you how to stay holy and to honor God. And so I began to learn the school of the Holy Spirit. You know, I didn't know how to rest. I didn't know how to take a break. I can't believe that that would be one of my problems. But, uh, but I don't even have to breathe when I preach, by the way. I can just preach, 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 preach. I don't even have to breathe. It's just one of those things. But, uh, but you know, I, I, I didn't know how to rest. And so the Holy Spirit had to show me, Justin, let me teach you how to rest. Let me teach you how to Sabbath. He had to teach me that. In the early days of my faith, I was so scared, scared to risk things. And the Holy Spirit had to teach me how to risk for him. And little by little by little, all along on this journey, ever since I've been following Christ, he's had me in the school of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he talks to me through a dream in the night. Sometimes he talks to me through a scripture that comes alive. Sometimes he talks to me through the voice of a friend. Sometimes he talks to me just in that inner voice. I'm always submitted to the scriptures. I'm not advocating leaving the scriptures by no means. This is our rudder. We follow the scriptures and the spirit is the one who guides us through the scriptures so that we can understand what they mean. Come on, amen. This is the school of the Holy... I wonder if you're in the school of the Holy Spirit. Do you have any idea what class you're in right now? See, it's really difficult to excel in a class when you don't even know what the class is on. And you don't have the textbook, right? If you're trying to be in the school of the Holy Spirit, but you never asked him what class he has you in, it makes it real tough to excel. But if you ask the Holy Spirit, what are you teaching me right now? What are you trying to do in me right now? He might say, I'm sorry, I got to send you to math class because things aren't adding up in your finances. And you're going, oh, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's do arts and crafts, you know? (laughs) But he wants to teach you things. He wants to teach you things right now. And here's what I'm trying to push upon you today, church, is that you must become aware of the Spirit's agenda in teaching you. He has a school for you. He has a school for you. He wants to teach you these things. Now, here's the exciting thing about 2 Corinthians 13. It says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father... And the fellowship or communion, however you want to look at it, of the Holy Spirit be with the most spiritual among you. Wait a minute, that's not what it said. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with the spiritually elite. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with those who give a lot of money. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be, no, no, what it says, if you read 2 Corinthians 13, it says, may the love of Jesus, or the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You're part of all. You're part of all. What I'm trying to get at today is that you can have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. What I'm trying to get at today is that you can live in the presence of God's Holy Spirit. 
What I'm trying to get at today is that you can experience the school, the teaching, the training, the daily journey of learning to be like Christ with the Holy Spirit. This is what fellowship is. Fellowship is intimacy. Fellowship is this communion. Fellowship is this partnership. Fellowship is this journey with the Holy Spirit. And if you're honest and you examine your Christian experience, I wonder if these things stand out in your soul. I wonder if these things define who you are as a Christian, or maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, Justin, that sounds really nice, and I definitely want that, but that's not really my experience. See, when I go to God for direction, I always feel confused. I have no idea what he wants me to do, and the truth is, I don't know what class I'm in. I don't even know if I'm in class. I feel like maybe I'm in detention or something. Like, I don't know what God is trying to teach me, and you know, when you talk about intimacy, I don't really know that. I open this thing up, it feels like a slab of concrete. It doesn't seem to say anything to me very often. And the truth is presence. I I know anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, and unbelief, but I don't know this righteousness, peace, and joy cloud presence you're talking about. You know, these things sound really good, and I really want these to be my experience. But if I'm honest, day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, this ain't what I'm feeling. If that's you today, then I want to highlight the fourth aspect of fellowship for you, because I'm convinced that the fourth aspect of fellowship is the one that limits or excels or expands the other three aspects. In other words, this fourth aspect is the door that unlocks the reality of these other three, that if you want fellowship, if you want intimacy, if you want presence, if you want his power, if you want his teaching and his guidance and his training, it is crucial that you understand the fourth aspect of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I lost my last page of notes. I'm not sure what the fourth aspect is. John chapter 3, we get a glimpse of it when Jesus speaks of the new birth and he describes the Holy Spirit as wind. He says this, check it out. It says, the wind blows. Ooh, look at that little phrase. Can you say that with me? Where it wishes. That one's been stuck in my soul all week. Where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. The wind blows where it Wishes Romans 8 describes it like this. It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. In other words, the children are led. They're being drawn. They're being led by the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 20, Paul describes his relationship with the Holy Spirit like this. He says, uh, now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. Look at that little phrase. Not knowing what will happen to me there. Constrained. Another translation could say bound. I am chained up. The Spirit is dragging me there. He has chained me up and he has told me to go there and I am going constrained by the Spirit. See, the wind blows where it wishes. And if you want to experience, don't miss this today, if you want to experience intimacy with God, if that's not just a theory, but you want it to be a fact in your soul, if you want to experience the presence of God so that when you walk into a room, things begin to shift and the presence of God is known to those around you. And people say, what is it about you? What is it about you that that seems to be such peace, that seems to have such joy? What is that about you? That's the presence of God. If you want that to be your life, if you want to be in the school of the Spirit so you know what he's saying and you know what he's doing and you're aware of where he's teaching you and growing you and you're constantly becoming more like Jesus, if this is your longing and your desire, friend, then it's crucial that you embrace this fourth aspect of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to call it today the authority of the Spirit. The authority of the Spirit. See, meteorology has been trying to you know, dictate where the wind goes for generations, right? 
and we pay them a lot of money, and they get up and they say, all right, well, it looks like hurricane whatever is going to go up here, and it's going to go there, and then three days later, it's like, hey, it didn't go there. It went there instead. What happened, meteorologist? Well, I'm doing the best I can with the information I have, but the wind blows where it... It blows where it wishes. I can't control the wind. I can't pretend like I can control the wind. I can try to predict and try to understand, but ultimately, the wind controls. Nobody even knows who controls the wind. The wind blows where it wishes. In the same way, the Holy Spirit must be the authority of your life. The Holy Spirit must be the one in whom you surrender to. And this is where things get a little uncomfortable for all of us, because many of us say, well, I surrender to salvation in Jesus, and I surrender to my life to Christ. But then when we get into the specifics of our lives, don't miss this today, church, when we get into the specifics of our lives, this is where things start to break down and this is why we don't experience the presence and this is why we don't experience the intimacy and this is why we don't experience the school of the spirit because we're limiting what God can do the Bible calls it grieving the Holy Spirit we're limiting what he can do because we're not surrendered in the details and so you say no Justin my life is completely surrendered And you're single and you're saying, well, what if he says you're never going to get married? Or you're married and he's saying, well, what if he tells me that we're not going to have kids? And you got this business. But what if he says, I'm not supposed to do that? When it gets to the specific, things get a little tricky. What if he calls me to move somewhere else? What if he calls me to stay here? When it gets to the specifics, we start grasping for control, you know? Well, I don't want to, you know, I want to, I don't want the Holy Spirit to have that kind of, that kind of control. When it gets to the details, this is where things get difficult. I found a picture for you. It's for you. Go ahead and throw it up there. Anytime's good. Thanks. Look at this picture. Those guys are stupid, huh? I mean, really? Does that look like a good plan? I just want to make a note here. You got the guy all the way to the left. And there's no turning back for him. He can't be like, you know what? Let's go back up to the cliff. Right? He has effectively surrendered to the wind he's not in control anymore he doesn't get to determine what happens no aspect of his life is his now he must learn to work with the wind to open that parachute at the right time to work with the wind that's his job work with the wind but then you got this guy all the way on the left see him with the blue I don't know how he got so high off the ground right there But he is jumping in the wrong place. Did you notice that? Because he's going up, and then he's going to come right back down on the earth. And his experience is very different than the other three. He is the guy that's going, yes, we're jumping off cliffs. This is awesome. Okay, you got to jump off the cliff. I know. Woo, I'm flying. Isn't the Holy Spirit amazing? And what we need to say to that guy is, friend, you don't know what it feels like. And 
until you let go. And you might have a degree of experience with the wind. You might know something of intimacy. You might know something of presence. You might know something of the school of the spirit on the side of the cliff. But what I'm trying to tell you today is until you jump, you never know that freedom. You never know that intimacy. You never know that nearness. You'll never discern that voice. You got to surrender to the wind. I believe that Jesus is here right now. And that he's looking you in the face today. And he's saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Just breathe. Just breathe. Just breathe. Psalm 25 says it like this. The secret counsel of the Lord. I love that phrase. I want to be included in that. When I get to heaven, I want Jesus to look at me and say, oh, hey, there's one of my members of the secret council. Come on up. Hey, it's good. Justin, I'm so glad you're in the secret council because you were a pastor. No. I'm so glad you're in the secret council because uh, you earned all the points with God. No. But the secret council of the Lord is for those who fear him, those who revere him, those who surrender to him, those who submit to him, those who reverence him as the authority. The secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear him. And look what he does. He reveals his covenant to them. He reveals his unique interaction with the human race. Let me show you how this works, this covenant of grace. Let me show you how this works, this experience of joy. Let me show you how this works, this imputed righteousness given through the Son. Let me show you, not just so that you know up here, but so that you know in here. Let me explain it to you. But it comes when you revere. It comes when you fear. It comes when you surrender. It comes when you jump. That's when it comes. I wonder if there's an area of your life, the specifics, we're getting the specifics now, where you just are grasping onto control, which is ridiculous anyways, by the way, because you're not in control. But I wonder what would happen to our church if every one of us and scars. We're not worthy of 
relationship with our Creator. But you have promised in the Scripture the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. And we believe that that's possible because of the Gospel. Thanks for listening. We pray that the Holy Spirit spoke to you through this message. For more information on City Church, check out ourcitychurch.org.